morning, everybody. I know it's pretty early, and uh, so uh, I hope that we can, we don't yawn too much, but um, I want to talk today about going from victim to victor, to victory, from victim to victory. You know, as I was preparing this message, um, there was a lot that, you know, I was thinking about some times in my past where, man, I'm, what a baby I was. What a, what, what a victim mentality I had in, in, you know, whatever situation I was going through. And, and so it, it just convicted me that <clears throat> there are a lot of times that it just happens. We fall into this victim mentality that we just become babies whiny babies and and those of us with kids you know those times when our kids are acting like spoiled brats and just really acting up and whining and crying and I thought man sometimes I act that way what does the father think of me but I think he still smiles at us amen amen so I was wanting to tell you guys uh there was a time uh, it's about golly, it was probably three years ago Right, right around this time when I was working at the, at the, uh, at the uh, power line construction company, Higher Power, and, you know, I had just left Excel, and, and we were, all of a sudden, work stopped. And, and there was, uh, it was about this time, right around Christmas time, we were going to have to lay off some guys. And it broke my heart, and I had just resigned from Excel in, in October, and I'm thinking, what did I do? What the heck did I do? What, what the heck did I do with my, you know, what, why did I put my family in this? Here we are, this company is growing, and all of a sudden, we're, we're going, for, we had 14 crews down to five. And it broke my heart to, to think about these, laying these guys off, and at Christmas. And I'm, you know, my, my boss, Robert Malcolm, at the time, looked at me and says, we need to go for a drive. So I did. He goes, what's wrong? And I said, boss, my heart is breaking. First, for the guys, and second, I'm just wondering, what did I do? And he, he, he said this statement, and it's, it's forever changed me when I start going through hard times. And he said this, either God is sovereign or he's not. I mean, think about this. Either God is sovereign or he's not. Either he's in control or he's not, and it's black and white, and that really, really changed my mentality, and I wanted to share that with you guys today, because your response to this statement can tell you a lot about the mentality you're in right now. It can tell you how much of a role of, of a victim you might be playing versus living a life of victory. Your response to this statement can show you if you have a victim's mindset or a victor's mindset. Your response to this statement can really tell you if you're living in victory or in defeat. Think about it. Either God is sovereign or he's not. Now, just to give you guys a current update, this just in, as they say in the news, we are. We are fallen people living in a fallen world with an enemy seeking every opportunity to kill, to steal, and destroy. 
in a nutshell, life can really suck sometimes. Amen? And see, it's no wonder that the church is full of, of people playing the roles of victims, going through life with a defeated attitude, with a defeated mindset. It's this attitude of, woe is me. Woe is me. But I figured something out, and as I thought about this more and more, that the victim mindset is a result of one major flaw we Christians fall into. We don't read the Bible. We don't read this owner's manual. Gentlemen, if, if this is truly an owner's manual, this is, this is God's love letter to his people on how to live victorious. And a lot of the times, and I'm guilty of it, it stays on a coffee table or on the shelf gathering dust. I saw the picture of a Bible with a lot of dust on it, and somebody wrote, read me. <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's good. That is so true. So, guys, I want you to turn to James chapter 1. It's on page 1842. <clears throat> James chapter 1, and we're going to start reading in verse 2. We're going to concentrate on verses 2 through 4. And we're going to get into this owner's manual to figure out how to go from victim to victory. And I'm sure you've read this before, but I hope it goes in a little deeper this morning. And it, my version reads like this. Consider it a great joy, my brothers, when you, whenever you experience various trials. It's pretty crazy, isn't it? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. I know some translations say steadfastness. It says, but endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete Lacking in nothing. So there's some instructions there in the project manager and me. I want to start from the end and go to the beginning. See, ultimately, the, the goal is to be this, to be mature, complete. So some versions say perfect. To be mature, complete, lacking in nothing. That's the ultimate goal. We as husbands... <laughs> We need that. As dads, as fathers, we need that. As employers and employees, in all aspects of our lives, we need to feel, we need to know that we are mature, we are complete, and lacking nothing. That, gentlemen, is living in victory right there. <clears throat> so before we can have that life of living in victory, of maturity, completeness, and Lacking in nothing, <clears throat> we need endurance. We need steadfastness. And see, the only way to get that is through the testing of our faith. You see the, in this case, the regression. It's one, it's a one thing is a prerequisite for the next thing. So how do we get endurance? <clears throat> it's by the testing of our faith. How do you get muscles? You've got to go work out. This is the same thing. 
this is working out our faith when we go through these trials. So, by the, so how, do we, how is our t- faith tested? It's through these various trials and tribulation that God allows. So many times we blame the enemy that he's attacking me. <clears throat> well, sometimes I think it's just the Lord lifting his hand just a little bit to kind of teach you a lesson. Sometimes I feel like we're just boxing against, boxing the wind, fighting the wind, and God has us, <clears throat> his, his forehead on, his hand on your forehead, and you're just swinging and swinging. And all he is is trying to, he's testing your faith for an ultimate purpose. <clears throat> so our faith is tested through various trials and tribulations. And see, that is how we make it through trials and tribulations is through considering it joy. So we'll read it again. Consider it a great joy, my brothers, when you ever you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, but endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature, complete, lacking in nothing. So I want to break down the first part of this statement. It says, consider it great joy. See, gentlemen, joy and happiness are two totally different things. They are not the same. I figured it out that joy is a condition. It's a state of being. It's a state of mind. You see, it's, it's unconditional, joy is. And the reason is that is because it's part of the fruit of the Spirit. So when you're walking with the Spirit, when you're keeping in step with the Spirit, joy is just one of those fruits. And so when, uh, when trials come, when things hit you, there can be sadness in joy. Or shall I say, if you're in joy, sadness can come upon you. But joy is that foundation that keeps you solid. So happiness and joy are not the same thing. Happiness is just an emotion. It's, it is conditional because something or someone can make you happy. It's not the same with joy. Joy, again, is a fruit, part of the fruit of spirit by walking and keeping in step with the spirit. So what's interesting is there cannot be a happiness in a feeling of sadness. See, they're both emo- emotions. They're either or they're or. And I want to challenge everyone this morning that anything that steals your joy is truly an idol. Because the word says that the joy of the Lord is your strength, is our strength. So anything that steals that, you're, you're removing the Lord and putting that situation, that hurt, that emotion, that trial, that tribulation, you're putting that on the throne and worshiping it. I'm guilty. So that's where joy has to be solid, a foundation within us. And that's why James is basically saying at the very beginning of this verse, stay in that condition or or stay in that state. When he says consider it, I think some versions say count it. See, that implies it's a choice. It implies it's a a choice. And what that's telling me is God gave us the power to choose our response to any situation. Now, all of you you people have the joy of driving in Amarillo, Texas. 
When someone cuts you off, what's your first response? You know, you might, they're number one, right? <clears throat> I had a situation, a friend of mine was telling me that he was just going down, uh, going up I-27, and this big truck kind of cut him off, and he was weaving through traffic, and he ended up following him. And, man, this guy, my, my buddy, always looks for trouble anyway. So he uh, went through the spaghetti bowl downtown and then ended up going I-40 West and still weaving through traffic. And this guy's like, I'm going to go catch him. My, my friend was telling him, I'm going to go catch this guy. Going, going, gets off on Coulter, goes north, ends up going into the hospital to the parking right around the emergency room area. And he felt like a fool because he told me I was literally cussing him and I was ready to beat the crap out of him. I mean, he didn't say, you know what I mean. But it was, he said it was a perspective for him that said, man, I don't know what's going on in other people's lives. Why did I have to curse him in my mind? And see, that's our response. It ha we have the power to choose our response to anything that happens to us. Gentlemen, those of us who are married, when the wives start kicking in the nagging, which, by the way, is a frequency interrupter. It means you're not listening. I'll just tell you that. I've learned the secret. When they're nagging, it's, it's your fault. I'm just telling you. What's your response when, when they are acting a fool? Do we want to argue back? Do we want to fight right? Do we want to be right? Because think about it, if you're right, that means she's wrong, and she, y'all are one, so ultimately you're wrong too. <laughs> you have the power to choose your response to anything. Losing a loved one, there can be sadness. So many times we'll put that death, that loss, up on the throne, and we forget about the people around us. I watched my mom die. That was tough, but the Lord showed me something different. He showed me his love. When there's, I have seven siblings, and all eight of us were around. And it showed me how beautiful family is, even at her death. My, they were married 62 years, and watching my dad just love on her for the last time. As, 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 I wouldn't say death is horrible, it's just a transition to the next life. But my, 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 my deal is this. My response could have been, or my dad's response could have been, <clears throat> life is over. Man, that was eight years ago. He's 92, and he's ke he keeps on kicking because he still wants to live life. So he chose his response that he was still going to live and help us kids out at 92 years old. When I was at Excel, I took a, a course called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Probably the most, one of the most life-changing courses I've ever taken. And it's basically Stephen Covey came up with seven habits for us to, to, to learn and to make it part of a lifestyle and we'll become effective, highly effective. And the first habit was this, be proactive. 
And the principle around being proactive is, is to this. I am free to choose my response to any stimulus. My wife took the same course. When I took the course first and I told her about it, and she says, that's bull. If I stub my toe in the middle of the night, I, I can cuss. I mean, it just comes out. I said, no, <laughs> you have a choice. See, what happens when you start learning that you're ch you're, you have the freedom and the power to choose your response, you go, you have this, what's called a paradigm shift. You start seeing things different. You start saying, you know, this victim mentality says this, I'm a product of my circumstances. This is, you know, hey, I'm just who I am. You know, those of us who are married, uh, well, I'll, I'll say it like this, what Dr. Field said. If that dog didn't hunt before, that dog won't hunt after. In other words, a lot of us are falling this trap of saying, well, my dad did it that way. Th this is part of my family. This is just who I am. No, it's not. That's the victim's mentality. The victor's mentality or the life living in victory says this, I'm a product of my choices. I'm a product of my choices. And see, when, when you, so when you start thinking, okay, I have freedom to choose. Okay, I'm, I'm going to start making right choices based on, based on a set of values. Your, your behavior changes. You go from a reactive behavior, which is a total victim mentality, to, a, to proactive behavior, which is a life of victory. In other words, you no longer will be driven by your circumstances by your moods and feelings. In other words, if the weather's bad, you're not going to feel glum. If your wife is nagging, then you're not going to get into this teed-off mood because you're learning to choose your behavior. Does that make sense? And see, and you can tell reactive and proactive behavior by your language. For instance, Reactive behavior or victim's behavior is, well, there's nothing we can do. That's, that's just the way I am. Or he or she makes me mad. Totally reactive behavior. You know, I have to. Or, man, I can't. Or, man, I must. Or the good one, if only. See, that's all victims, mentalities, language. Proactive language or life of victory language says this. Let's look at some alternatives. If a situation comes up to you, hey, let's look at some alternatives. Let's see what we can figure out together. Let's take a different approach. Uh, uh, you can say, I control my own feelings. You know, I, I choose to. I prefer to. Or I will, or I will not. I've learned to say, I'm, I'm trying to really work on the language, like if somebody asked me to schedule something, instead of saying I can't, you know, I will say, well, uh, I won't because of a schedule. I, I'm really trying to change my personal language to reflect that, man, I want to be proactive. I want to control my feelings. I read this quote that was so awesome. It says, he who angers you controls you. How about that one? He who angers you 
controls you. If we go back into the word, <clears throat> James, on first chapter, look at verse 6. And he's talking about the doubter. We'll start on the second sentence of verse 6. It says, For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. An indecisive man is unstable in all his ways. That is a life <clears throat> of a, a defeated life. That's a life of just being tossed to and fro. It's, it, it's just a miserable life to be in that all your circumstances drive you to who you are. That is a very sad existence to be in. And your family doesn't need it. Your wife doesn't need it. This church doesn't need that. Let's look at verse 12. It says, Blessed is a man who endures trials, because when he passes the test, and he's telling you, when you pass this test, he will receive the crown of life that he has promised to those who love him. He promises that you will pass this test. So think about it. Either God is sovereign or he's not. Guys, God is on our side. He's on our team. And this is the playbook. And a lot of times we go into the game without knowing the plays. And then we live a life of this, of this guy getting tossed, like a wave getting tossed by the wind, and we wonder, we wonder why we're in the situation we are. Here the, I'm getting ready to listen to, uh, I want y'all to listen to this, to this, it's a video, but I'd rather you guys just sit and listen to it. Because one example of a true champion, one example of a man who lived a life of victory is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> you're going to listen to... You're going to listen to oh, the guy that preaches at, in San Antonio. Hagee, John Hagee. going to... He's, you're going to listen to how he describes what Jesus went through. You talk about someone who had an excuse to live reactively. I mean, can you imagine? He had access to legions of angels to come and destroy everyone who was hurting him. But he chose not to because he had a mission. He wanted to spend eternity with each and every one of us. So if we can take a listen and really listen uh, to this description. In the theater of your mind, go to Pilate's judgment hall and hear the Roman cat of nine tails swishing through the air. And see the metal in the end of the whip fall into the flesh of Jesus and pull chunks of meat, leaving the bones exposed. Shh. 
39 stripes. Can you hear it? Do you hear it? It is as the sound of water dripping from a leaking faucet. But it is not water. It is the blood of the Lamb of God dripping onto the marble floor for every disease of every man of all ages. For by his stripes I am healed. merciless mockery as men would drag an ox to be slaughtered they dragged Jesus from his place of prayer to his place of crucifixion do you hear the sound of that dripping water the only blood that can remove your sin look at him at the cross suspended between heaven and earth he bleeds his life away he bleeds from his head he bleeds from his hands. He bleeds from his riven side. He bleeds from his back. He bleeds from his feet. Why do you think God let him do that? For you. And 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 for the tens of hundreds of thousands that are watching by national television so that Satan's power and Satan's sin could not kill you you could have everlasting life in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, plainly stated. There is no salvation without the blood of Jesus Christ. And then comes the arrogant moralist who says, is God's heart so hard that when I stand before him in the day of judgment, he'll not let me in because I weep and I wail and I beg him, look at me in the face and let me, and let me say it plainly, read my lips. No. Why? If crocodile tears could save you, every star in Hollywood would be Mother Teresa. the blood of Jesus Christ the blood of Jesus Christ will not God forgive me if I spend my millions to feed the poor and give my millions for orphans to have clothes will God not forgive me the answer is no without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin it is not your philanthropy it is not of your giving it is God's doing that makes it happen Will God not forgive me if I zealously join a fraternal order and I do good things? Let me tell you something. If you can save yourself by doing good things, which is legalism, Jesus Christ died at the cross in vain. There's not an organization on the earth that can save you, not even the church of Jesus Christ. Joining a church makes you no more a Christian than a bath, a bar of soap, and a red ribbon transforms a pig into a poodle. That just doesn't happen 
The only thing that can save you is to go to the cross of Jesus Christ and say, My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. My blessed Redeemer, tis now. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilt and stain. Life begins here. And if you haven't been here, you're not alive. The only thing that will bring you redemption is the blood of the cross. Without the shedding of blood, there is no redemption of sin. Say it. Without the shedding of blood, there is no redemption of sin. His blood puts all men on an equal playing field. What mountain of pride and conceit this verse makes low. It puts the Chinaman eating rats in Hong Kong on the same level as the millionaire eating canvas back duck in the Waldorf Astoria. You're on the same field. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. It makes the Eskimo eating whale's blubber on the same level with a cultured professor teaching higher mathematics at Massachusetts Institute of Technology. No matter how brilliant, no matter how powerful, no matter how wealthy, if you haven't been to the cross, you're not saved. As we talk about the power of the blood, the Bible is a book of blood. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that gives power to our gospel. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that gives power to our salvation. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that gives life and anointing to our teaching. It is the blood that makes the sword of God quicker than any two-edged sword. One drop of the blood of Calvary makes every demon in hell tremble in absolute fear. It is the blood and nothing else. Without the blood of the cross, there is no salvation. Without the blood of the cross, there is no healing. There is no mercy. There is no deliverance from Satan's power. There is no hope of everlasting life. There is no hope, period, without the blood of the cross. We are not saved by church membership. We are not saved by baptism in water. Church membership and baptism in water are hollow, empty, religious experiences if you have not first been to the cross. We are not saved by fraternal orders and doing good works. We are not saved by morality and respectability and religiosity. God cares less about your goodness. All of your righteousness is as filthy rags if you have not been to the cross. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. If you reject the blood of Jesus Christ, the wrath of God abideth on you. I ask this question. Do you think a loving God put his son through the hell of the cross just so that he could write something in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that would touch you emotionally? Never. Jesus Christ went to the cross because it was absolutely imperative for your redemption. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And if you have not been to the cross, the wrath of God abideth on you. The Bible says, who has received the Son has life. But those that have not received the Son, the wrath of God abideth on him. When Christ was on the cross, God poured his wrath upon his Son as your substitute. But if you reject the substitute, then the wrath of God abides on you and you can't pay the bill. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. And Jesus went to the cross and paid it for me. It was special blood. 
It is not to be confused with the blood of the first plague in Egypt when the Nile River from the source to the Red Sea was blood, when every fountain in Egypt was blood, when every stream and every rivulet became filled with blood, when every water vessel of wood and stone in Egypt became blood, when the water in the ivory bathtubs of Pharaoh were red like the drain pipes of a slaughterhouse with blood, when every bowl and every golden vessel was filled with blood, it's not to be confused with that blood. It's not to be confused with the blood when Solomon dedicated the temple and he killed 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. Think how many animals that is. There were so many gallons of blood that it ran in a river from the altar outside the temple. It's not that blood. It's not the blood when Herod slew the innocents trying to keep Jesus Christ from coming to, to the throne. It is not the blood that was shed by Joseph's brothers and the coat of many colors. It is not the blood that the Romans slaughtered the Jewish people in 70 AD when they tried to take Jerusalem over and 1.5 million Jews died in one week fighting for the temple. Historians say blood ran down the street until you could not see the gutters because so much blood was coursing down the hills of the streets of Jerusalem. It is not the blood of a thousand men that have died on 10,000 battlefronts trying to bring men political and social freedom. Not that blood. That blood is not special enough. It is not the blood of St. Paul who built the church. It is not the blood of the church martyrs, those who were taken to the stake and burned alive and who smiled while the flames leaped at their flesh and as they died. It's not that blood. What blood is it? It is the blood of the Lamb of God, the only begotten Son of God, the virgin-born Son of God, the priceless blood of the Lamb of God, that blood. It is the blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, that blood. It is the blood that cleanses from all unrighteousness, that blood. It is the blood that shackles Satan and the powers and principalities of hell, that blood. It is the blood that conquers cancer, that conquers heart disease, that blood. It is the blood that conquers from fear and from guilt and condemnation, that blood. It is the blood of Jesus Christ, that blood. And that blood alone will save you. So I hope that gives you an idea of what happened at the cross. It's not just one man dying, but dying for each and every one of us. And if Jesus was a man who was a, if he would have been a reactive man, if he would have been someone who would have just said, woe is me, we'd be in a lot of trouble. So I hope this statement, either God is sovereign or he's not, can help you think that, gentlemen, he is sovereign. He is in control. He knows what he's doing, and he's with you through it all. Amen? Let me pray over you guys real quick. I'm going to pray the word over you. <clears throat> For this reason, I bow my knees before my Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. I pray that he may grant each and every one of you this morning and those who could not be here, that according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, and that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love and to know the Messiah's love 
that surpasses knowledge so you may be filled with all the fullness of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.